when I was younger, now they get used to get in trouble. And I'm telling you, it catches up with you. You can't run away from your past. Every time I step into the USA, they call me into the US Customs and Border Protection. Luckily, certain things on my on my criminal record aren't too severe. And they don't stop me from actually entering the USA. But every time I enter the USA, they call me in for questioning. And it's tedious and time consuming. So young kids, I'm just saying, right, when you're coming up and whatever you may be doing, even if it's getting into a fight outside a club because you're drunk, anything on your criminal record will cause you problems when trying to travel to the USA. So keep your record clean, stay clean, stay out of trouble, whether it's minor or major. Freedom is priceless. So in the border protection room, you're not allowed any phones, etc. right? So I'm allowed out now, got my bags, the team. Hey, you know what time it is, you know, crunch time, anytime you want to call it. But welcome back to the number one podcast in the sport where I can always guarantee one plus one will never equal two. But we love it for that, don't we? That's exactly what we love about the sport we call boxing. Didn't really know what I wanted to do with this episode, but I felt there was one that was needed because I was at the Warren Boxing Management show on Friday. So massive thanks to to Alfie Warren for for looking after me. I'm really appreciated. And I'll come on to why that's important in a sec. And I went there to watch the debut of a guy that I trained from from zero, a guy called Courtney Bennett. And as I'm sat in this changing room at the end of the night, and I'm sat and I'm looking around me. And on my right, I've got Donald Smith. On my left, I've got Courtney Bennett. And in front of me, I've got Raph Joseph. Raph, if your surname's not Joseph, really sorry, mate. But that's just in my head at the moment. So I'm sat, like, there's like a, like a quadrant of four guys here. And I look and I go, if you've followed my podcast journey, you should know all of these names by now. And here we are in a room together after the debut of one of the guys we've been talking about. And I've talked about Courtney for my very first ever podcast with New Age back in May 2016. So if you have followed the episodes, this is like the culmination of one of the many narrative and plot arcs that I've kind of tried to weave into the content that I do. Same with Don as well. I remember I talked him up when he was with Tony Sims and I've talked him up when he's flown solo. And then Raph, that's sort of coming in now because Raph's now, now his own man. Not, not that he wasn't before, but before he was at church, he was with Sam Mullins. But now it's Raph. Raph is Raph and he's doing his thing. I think Royal Resistance, probably amongst other places. Someone should really take a gamble on him, in my opinion. Smart guy, knows his boxing 
and he's got a challenging mindset as well. So he'll always challenge the status quo and try and find better ways to do things. So there's this really beautiful moment, like we've cracked a few cans and we're just there sipping after what's been a stressful evening for everyone for different reasons. And I'm just looking around with so much pride and going, God, the sport's given me so much. Yes, I've put a lot into it, but God has given me so much. It's given me people I respect, people I call friends, and I hope to call friends for the rest of my life. And that's, that's the important thing for me. I've never needed to be in front of the camera. I've never needed to interview the big wigs. I've never needed to feel important at boxing events. I've never needed that. But the friendship it's given me, it's a blessing. And that's why what Alfie did for me was impressive because if you take my years in boxing, apart from a few double jab t-shirts and tracksuits, and I, I respect those guys for doing that, by the way, because they didn't have to. Very generous of them, very nice of them. I've never really taken anything out of boxing. I've had a few fight tickets off like David Hay, George, etc. Had a few things come back, but never in monetary terms. Never has someone said, mate, I've got you. You'd be looked after. No one's done that. Except for two slash three people. So Dennis and Porky obviously have looked out for me. And I'm grateful that I get to give back now by commentating. But they did. I mean, they, they, they saw something, they gambled, and I like to feel they won. And now Alfie Warren. Now you think about what that excludes. Never been given a single thing from Fitzroy Lodge, ever. Despite helping out the pad work till my elbows are raw and my tendons are swollen. Nothing. Everything was given to everybody else. Yeah. And I was told, yeah, we've got to give it to whoever, right? And they were just giving it to people who, who was, guys who worked in the cafe next door were getting free stuff. And I'm like, well, why isn't it me? And that's when you realize people really have hate in their heart for you for what reason don't know and no one ever talks about this sort of stuff in a podcast because boxing's a sport where nothing affects you let me tell you something when you're in a club where the man who set it up Mick Carney got arrested so he didn't even set it up but Mick's kind of the identifiable face of Fitzroy Lodge right when he says Terry this is your home you shouldn't be going to places like Repton. You come here. Anything you want to do training-wise, you should do here. This is your home. When he says that, nobody can move me. Only he can move me, and he's no longer with us. But that puts me in a certain place in terms of respect. I should be treated a certain way, and I never was. But I'm not bitter. The reason I'm not bitter is you can't take boxing personally. It's important when I walk in the gym and it's important when I'm in the gym, but when I walk out of that gym, I don't care anymore. I don't know if that's a good trait or a bad trait. You know, wiser heads will tell you. But for me to have put so many years in, nearly 20 years at Fitzroy Lodge, I ain't got shit to show for it. And then here's Alfie. And Alfie's like, mate, I got you. Do you know what I mean? That's, that's the yin and the yang of boxing, right? Yeah. So that's why yesterday was like, wow, here's a guy who's really putting out for me and he doesn't have to. 
And so, so we go to the Warren Boxing Management show. Now, I don't, I don't really know what to expect, you know. So I go there, and I'm like, okay, cool. Here we go. Friday night boxing. Hadn't really expected to do this. Was quite happy staying at home because it was cold as hell. But as I looked at the, the list of people who were fighting, I was like, well, if you think about this card, and I think the main event fell through, so obviously the nature of the card changes significantly. But you had definitely three elite amateurs. Courtney Bennett, GB champion, multiple times. ABA finalist a few times. ABA court finalist whenever he wanted. Multiple time Haringey Box Cup winner. Um, won a silver and a bronze for GB. Decorated. Natty Nguyenya, ABA champion. Multiple time Haringey champion. Multiple time ABA quarter finalist, etc., etc. Decorated army boxer. Decorated amateur boxer. And thoroughly good man, right? You can agree that they're both elite. Uh, Masood Abdullah. I think, is he one of the few guys to have won... Trying to think this because I know he won. He won the novices. He won the ABAs and he won the GB championships. That marks you out as elite, as far as I'm concerned. So you've got guys who can box. It's not just um, a load of guys turning over from white collar. These are guys who can box, supplemented by guys on the way up like Frankie Story, etc. So it's a showcase card. It's a good showcase card because these are guys you're going to see on a TV screen in the next year or so. There's no debate about that. So measured by that, it's a good card. Um, is it a card where they've said we need to get six ticket sellers in to anchor this? No, it's not. But it's a showcase card. And it says, look, let's get these guys out, get them active. And measured by that, it was a solid card. It was a good card. Give them credit. Um, I enjoyed a lot of it. I enjoyed the atmosphere. It was a nice crowd. That's what I'm going to describe it as. You never felt once that it was going to kick off in that venue. Friendly crowd, handshakes everywhere. You know, where are you from? Who are you here to see? Oh, let's have a chat about that. I know this guy. I know that guy. And through that, I got to see a lot of the people behind some of these boxes as well. You know, the guys behind Joshua TKO Nelson, for example. Uh, the guys behind Frankie Story. Oh, my God, the chance they come up with. You know, the Courtney Bennett family and mafia I already knew. So that was cool. Um, the guys behind Natty Nguyenya as well. It was nice to to broaden the network. And for the record, I didn't tell anyone at the venue that I do a podcast. I wasn't trying to sell Hardfield Boxing or Beyond Boxing at all. So people want to know, what was it like in terms of attendance? Uh, 60%, 70% full? Like, and generally, like, no one really left until right at the end because then it's like, well, we, we need to get tubes and stuff, right? So attendance-wise, it was good. I don't know if it made a profit or not. Not my business. I'm just concerned that the atmosphere was good. It was rocking. People were there for their people. It was nice. Nice event, nice atmosphere. I was cool with that. Um, things that are annoying, and this is, it's, it's a criticism of the event, but it's a criticism of your call as well. They need to stop walking fighters out past the bar area. Like, it's just fucking annoying. It is just annoying. Now, I know that you've got all the equipment up top and you can't necessarily walk people down from the stage, but there has to be a way of creating a walkway from the stage to the ring. So you just simplify that whole journey because you know, pulling out that barrier and then you have all the sort of crowd congestion. The security guards are getting frustrated because people are like, I don't want to move because I don't want to lose my place. Yeah, I think that bit there is messy because they pull the barrier out, but as you come out from the ring area, 
some people want to go left for the medical, some people want to go right to get out, and this barrier just gets in the way. So if anyone's got a creative solution to moving people around your core, be much appreciated because the current way doesn't work. You know, that, that's really my, my moan and my gripe about the whole thing because I thought the show was solid. Um, in a wider sense, what did I enjoy? Enjoyed meeting new faces. So Stuart from Grassroots Boxing, and if I got it wrong, because my head was going to tell me to say Scott, but I think it's Stuart from Grassroots Boxing. Well, we'd gone back and forth on voice notes. Yeah, really knowledgeable guy, lovely guy. And pointing to what I said earlier, right? Here's a guy who does a lot in boxing but you don't see him because he doesn't want to be seen. He doesn't need to be seen. The right people see him and the right people hear him. And so I say, credit where credit's due. Lovely, lovely man. Um, wish we could have spent more time, but, you know, as I've said in previous episodes, more than happy to sit down and grab a, a couple of juice bigelows with someone, you know, even if it's not at the show, no problem. And like, you know, if we sit down and talk boxing, why can't we do that? No, it's... You guys have the patience and the consideration to listen to me. The least I can do is sacrifice some of my time to listen to you. So it was good to meet him. Um, in terms of new faces, it was good to meet the people behind Frankie's story. In fact, I hadn't even met Frankie's story before. So it was good to meet him. Good, just loads of people that I, I sort of met in the process. Even being able to have a, a chat with Alfie Warren, which I'd never done before. All of these things, where I'm like, these are all steps forward for me and I'm grateful for those interactions because it moves me forward as a person and my thoughts in boxing as well. So, fantastic. And keep coming back to this when we talk about small hall boxing and what is it there for and you know what does it want to achieve? On one hand, people are like, it needs to be a sustainable business and I get that. And on the other hand, I'm like, is it a showcase business? Are you trying to moneyball the system? And what I mean by that is, I think Warren Boxing Management have a guy signed called Sharif Musa. Sharif Musa hasn't made his debut yet, from what I understand. But, hell of a fighter. Like, you'll see him. If you follow him on Instagram, you'll see he shares a ring with absolutely everyone in the game. And is it that, you know, WBM will sign guys like him and gamble that they'll fulfill their potential and become TV stars? I think that's the right thing to do. Or is it just, well, we need ticket sellers? And I know there's a balancing act between the two, but I think just nailing that proposition would be good. In fact, some of these guys just need to, to ally up, man. They need to just team up. Like, you know, Lee is doing his thing over here. Um, Alfie and, and his crew are doing things over here. Steve's doing his thing over here. Mickey Helliot might start doing his thing over here. you got Mo Pryor over here. And there's all this stuff happening and you almost feel like there needs to be some consolidation somewhere where it's just a bit more focused and we can start working out actually who these Moneyball prospects are. But the beauty of an event like this for someone like me is so many old faces. So many old faces. Uh, because Courtney Bennett's boxing, it's always going to be a reunion of sorts. I reckon... There's about 30 kids there that I've coached in various forms. You know, just, just in the Courtney Bennett crew, there's got to be about 30 kids that I've trained. And then you had all the other guys that I've worked with, Connor Hines, et cetera, et cetera. They're all there. And shouts out to Connor Hines. Number one, scariest puncher in London. Scariest puncher. I don't know if it's the heaviest shot in terms of like PSI. I have no idea. 
but it's the punch most likely to knock you out. Like, yeah. Trainers will know this. There's certain people in a gym, and it's not necessarily the biggest or the strongest or the fastest. It's none of those things. But there are certain people in the gym, when they say, do you want to do pads? You're like, no, I don't. Because you know, every time they hit the pad, it just goes right through. And you're almost like, what's the point of wearing the pads? It goes right through. And it's almost like they're trying to crush your wrists. And you can't explain where that power comes from. I don't, I don't understand. I don't even think they're the same kind of humanoids as the rest of us. But Connor Hines has that. And we're talking. And he was saying, look, I'll fight anyone from super mid to light heavy. Don't matter to me. So if you are listening and you've got a guy that you think is good, put him in with Connor Hines. Connor Hines with a full training camp, proper support behind him, I think is a nightmare for everybody. All he needs to do is just tighten up his work. That's it. Once he tightens up that work and he can deliver that right hand from different positions, he might go on a knockout run and not just against like journeymen. He'd go on a knockout run against people who you'd expect him to lose to. So it was good to see him. They're a nice guy. Um, just wants to get out and be active. So good luck to him. And then also in the same weight class, good to see Robbie Chapman. So he was there supporting, uh, I want to say, it's, is it Arnold? One of their IQ club mates. So he was there with Xavier Miller. Melissa Zad was there. So I've got to call her IQ now as well. She was there. Guy that's from my local gym, Kieran, was there as well. So shout out to him. Um, and the rest of the IQ guys, Xavier, and all of those. Good to see Craig Richards as well. He was there. Um, Jamie Shakiva was there. And I told him, and I know you're here to scout your rival. We had a little joke about, you know, a little uh, Rocky Three reference, man. I was saying, you're just here to sit and watch him like Clubber Lang did. And now nah, nah, we just had a little laugh. And it's good to see that. I like seeing people who come to other people's shows because you're broadening out your own brand and your own footprint. You know, a lot of these boxers need to understand they are their own business. So 24 hours a day, they are in the business of self-promotion and guiding people towards something that will make them money while providing the customers with value. That's it. That's Boxing 101. But seeing all of these sort of old faces, um, young coach Richie Rambo, so he's training out of Royal Resistance. So he was in Joshua TKO Nelson's co corner. And there's a young guy that I've known from the double jab days as well. Class act, you know, uh, who else was there? Archie Dublin. If you know London boxing, man, Archie's one of the great survivors, man. It was good to see him out and about. So many good people out. And one thing I give thanks for is I'm almost at that point now where I'm becoming one of the elder statesmen. I might end up being one of those people I used to criticize back in the day. But it's good to see there's a, a young generation of people that want to train fighters and want to do it the right way and are hungry to be successful. So seeing that new breed coming through, now it's become my role to provide guidance and share some of the lessons that I've learned, which I see as a privilege, man. It's not even a duty. It's just a privilege I get to do that. So yeah, overall... Love the experience, man. It was just fun. You know, I didn't have to be high field boxing. I didn't have to be anything else other than me. It was fun. Fights were good. Um, Natty Nguyenya, class. Class. Masood Abdullah will always be class. Courtney Bennett was good. Um, I'm always going to drill into his performance a lot more because I, I know him. And I know he'll watch the fight back and he'll find all the bits that he can fix. I almost don't even have to tell him. 
but I liked what he did. There were shots there. You know, a lot of heavyweights aren't really working the, the left uppercut the way he does. Um, so you can definitely see the seeds of that combination punch as a pro coming through. But I think he's just in that awkward phase of rolling back the GB style. So GB is a gift and a curse, right? You join Team GB, you do a few tournaments, you get to wear the vest. Amazing for your profile. So you're not saying he was part of the squad. What you're saying is this guy fought for his country. Yeah. Got silver and a bronze. Courtney Bennett fought for his country. And had he been willing to commit to Paris 2024, he'd have probably done the Commonwealth Games too. Because he's light years ahead of Delicious. Man. And he's been light years ahead of most of those guys, apart from Joe Joyce, for a long time. But what GB did is it, it dulled his instincts. And his instincts are combination punching, going for the kill. He may not be the heaviest puncher in the heavyweight division, but that's okay. He's accurate. And it's that accuracy that puts people on their backsides. It's the accuracy and the speed. And I think when he starts to focus more on that, when he starts to train to be elite, not just for exercise, when he trains to be elite, I think a year from now, he'll be a completely different proposition. He'll be scary. And I say this, actually. I say this in the context of I'm doing a podcast, so I have to... One of the things I've learned in this process, and I'm grateful for it now, is to give someone space. Like, Courtney trains with Donald Smith. Don's a friend of mine. You know, I've known Courtney from day one in terms of boxing. It can be very easy to creep in and start offering bits of advice on what he should be doing in camp and stuff. It's very easy to do. But the way I show respect for my friends, like Don and so forth, is I just keep my distance. Don't talk about that stuff. I just trust their process, I trust their decision-making, and I just let go. And I come and I watch as a fan, which is a nice feeling. And I've had to learn that. You know, the, the competitor in me, the, the guy that wants to help everyone succeed and do all of this, wants to get right in there. I'm, oh, you know, I think I can fix everything half the time. But I've learned to pull back and just watch and offer support. And if I'm needed, I'm there. If I'm not needed, I'll be watching as a fan. So that's one of the things I've had to learn in this process as well. So everyone's learning. But I think a year from now, the Courtney we're talking about will be far scarier. And it's just, it's tweaks, right? You're dealing with parameters now. You're not necessarily having to build new functionality with him. It's just getting those parameters and settings perfect so he can do what he's born to do. And that's entertain and win. But no, I absolutely loved it great day emotionally draining obviously you know you're around people that for the last decade you've been a big part of their life they've been a big part of your life there are a lot of guys that I met when they were 15 some were younger and to see these guys in their mid-20s some in their late 20s you know they've had ups and downs incarceration um, you know some people become dads you know multiple children all these things watching some of the young ladies who are mums now some of them who are older mums now, and then the elders, the grandmothers and so forth. Like, it's a privilege. Like, amateur boxing can sometimes put you at the heart of people's lives and families, and that's such a privilege that you're welcomed and respected as, as part of their journey, a part of their story. And yeah, yesterday was, was one of those. And so, wow, brilliant, loved it. So if any of you are on the fence about getting involved in boxing, don't be. Like, as long as you give your heart and your essence to the sport, 
it will give you something back. Won't be a Fitzroy Lodge t-shirt or a tracksuit though, guarantee you that. And well, maybe that was just me. But yeah, so in summary, thank you, Alfie. Really, really appreciate that. I thought the show was good. Um, it, it did what it was meant to do. And onwards and upwards. Uh, I know they want to be busy next year, so if they can get Connor Hines some work, hey, he doesn't matter what side of the fence he is, man. He, he'll just do what he does best. So, you know, I'm here just banging the drum for him at the moment. Just l let the kid fight. Just want to see him fight five times next year. Five or six times next year. And the world will be in trouble. You got to put him in the same bracket as Denzel. Like, I'd like to know. I might get both of them in the gym one day and see who hits harder. Because I'm not sure. It, it feels different on both of them, but I need to, I need to see. Because that, I imagine if those two ever sparred, the laws of physics would just implode. Completely implode. But let's, let's talk about other boxing stuff. And stuff that I've missed out. First and foremost, congratulations to, to Nina Hughes. Like, Jesus. Like, more people need to bang the drum about this. I first met Nina Hughes in 2009. It would have been an amateur show in, like, I don't know, East London, Essex. And it's just like, I was going to say this young woman, but she's, she's my age, right? So she's just there like, you're all right. And you're like, yeah, Nina, you boxed really well. Yeah, you know, got stuck in and that. Full on Essex. Like, it's like a real avalanche of Essexness. But she's lovely. And I think she was at Chadwell St. Mary, which is Chris Oko's gym. So these are the early days of Dillian White. You know, when he was hunting Joshua and the halcyon days, man. The era of like your Dwayne Sinclair's and your Jovan Young's, you know, I think Danny Davis was probably still active back then as an amateur. Just really, really good times. Amazing times. Where we didn't know where we'd all end up. So Nina's like in that Natasha Jonas territory of just being a vet like Savannah Marshall as well. You know, you think about it. When when Nina was amateur, Amanda Coulson was the the golden girl of of like British boxing, her alongside Leslie Saki as well. And then you fast forward all this time, like Leslie doesn't box anymore. Amanda Coulson's now a GB coach. And here's Nina as a world champion at 40. Wow, kudos and congratulations to her. You won't meet a nicer, more effervescent person. I wish her all the best. Put her in with everybody. Sky, Ellie, just put her in with everybody. Let her... Let her build up that Hall of Fame resume. Yeah, let her just go through everyone and then just retire and go, I did my thing because she boxed for a bit. I think she stopped in about 2012, 2013. Got married, became a mum twice over and then came back. I said, I want that smoke. And people didn't really want to touch her because they didn't really understand her story. And they hadn't seen her box before. But she... She had that sort of style and intensity where she would have been suited to the pros anyway. And now she's doing her thing. And I'm liking, I'm just enjoying the ride, to be honest with you. So kudos to her. I wanted to say a massive congratulations to, to Nina Hughes for, for being a class act for the sport. Um, the next one's probably not so great. And I just want to shout out to Paul Greenidge. And if you guys know Paul Greenidge, then you'll understand why why this is important. So Paul, Paul used to box on Goodwin shows, from what I remember, and I remember seeing him box Callum Eyed, about three and a bit years, three or four years ago, I can't remember. 
lovely, lovely human being. And we did a couple of episodes on Pep Talk together. So I think he he's from like that Watford area. He So he knows Joshua. I think they played county sport together. So he, he's always known of Anthony Joshua. So he's a guy that gave a lot of insight into like Joshua's real character. So he still calls him Femi. I don't think he even called him AJ. He just calls him Femi because that's how he's always known him. So now he's going through some health conditions. I think his bowels packed up on him. So he's going through a really hard time at the moment. And like I know I've got to send him a note just to let him know, mate, we're all thinking of you. So anyone that does know Paul Greenwich, feel free to to get in contact and just let him know you're thinking of him. You know, the boxing family should pull together at times like this. I think it's just unfortunate. Like you're a guy that kept in shape and these things aren't meant to happen, you know, when you're doing the right things. But prayers up for him. Um, distressing to hear because you don't want anyone to go through that and we can only just pray for him and that he makes a recovery and he can lead as normal a life as possible so yeah kudos to him lovely man had nothing but good words to say about him don't even know how you switch gears from that to talk about AJ so so AJ's in the US now actually his whole thing of going through immigration is brilliant because like because of his criminal convictions, they have to interrogate him. Like It doesn't matter that he's been an Olympic champion and multiple world championship holder. Like, they don't care about that. They still interrogate him every time over why he's in America and whether he's been behaving himself. So looking, this the video of Joshua walking around with his passport locked up because the other lot had to unlock it to free him up is brilliant. But it seems that like he's out there to work with Roy Jones. I don't know if that's been confirmed officially. So he's going to be working with Roy to see if there's any chemistry. And I think after that, Roy will be then coming to the United Kingdom. Um, I think Roy will be living in London, actually. Uh, not with AJ. So Roy will have his own place. And they'll work from there. I think Roy's going to be working with some other fighters, too, while he's here. So, hey, listen, man, if you can get some of that FaceTime with Roy Jones in the UK, make sure you hit him up and say, look, when you're in the UK, let's do some work. Because I tell you what, man, if I can sneak a little session just to observe and to pick his brain, I'm a thousand percent there. But Roy, well, when you come to the UK, mate, you're more than welcome. I think it's an interesting move for Joshua. Now, it's easy to be critical and say, ah, he's washed up. What is it Joshua wants, though? Because Roy's a very unique character, and the way Roy thinks about boxing I can see how that would work for Joshua from a, how would you call it, like a fast twitch and being fast perspective. I can see all of that. But Josh is, what, 33 going on to 34? Is this the time to be making that adjustment? I don't know. But as, as it is with Joshua's career now, now that we know that he's not going to be top of that tree, let's just enjoy the fights he gives us. That's where I'm at right now with AJ. If he gives me Dillian White, I want to watch it. If he wins, fantastic. If he gets ironed out, fantastic. Same with Wilder. If he irons Wilder out, fantastic. If he gets ironed out, fantastic. I just want to enjoy this tail end of Joshua's career. Whoever he's got in the corner, I don't even care anymore. Just him. But then my next question is, what happens to Angel Fernandez then? Is Angel going there? Because all I saw was AJ and Nas Ahmed, mate. So, I mean, so AJ definitely brought the pooches out with him. For, for the trip to the US. So let's see what happens. I imagine AJ will be there two or three weeks. He'll come back here and then Roy will join in the new year in London. So I'm intrigued to see what happens. But that all points to, 
to Joshua fighting in March, if anything. Mar Mid-March, end of March is when you can expect him to fight. I just think it will be Dillian. I don't think it will be anyone else. Um, because Dillian's between trainers, Joshua's between trainers. What better opportunity to, to have these two go at it? But today I'm going to wrap up by talking about something that I, I kind of enjoy talking about, but I also hate talking about because we shouldn't have to. So I want to talk about this Zolani Tete failed drugs case because I haven't even I haven't had a chance to speak on it yet, have I? So from what I understand, Zolani Tete fights in the UK and I can't remember who he fights and I'm almost not interested. But he manages to fight. Did he lose? Did he win? I don't know. But he goes to South Africa, does his bit, and then we find out. <laughs> we find out that he's failed a test. We're only finding out now. So from what I remember, the fight happened in, in July, and it might have been the Jason Cunningham fight. I can't remember how far back. But you fail a test, and we're finding out now. And the scary thing is, Queensbury weren't even notified. It was their show. Queensbury weren't notified. So the South African Boxing Authority have suspended his license. God knows what the board were doing. And so this points to this shambles because in the same week, Chris Eubank is like, I wasn't aware Conor Ben had failed two tests. And if I'd known about the first failed test, the, the fight would have been done because it would have given him time for another option. Then, we, then it turns out that they hadn't spoken about all of this, all these failed tests and whatnot. And so that points to a very murky story that we were told by promoters who just wanted to win that moment and didn't care about integrity. And now when you hear Eubank talk about, if I have to fight Nigel, uh, Conor Ben, sorry, it has to be 160 pounds. Now, here are the issues I have with that. Number one, Conor Ben is never a middleweight. Number two, if he goes to 160, we saw it with Kel Brook, going back down to 147 ain't going to end well for you. So they have cooked Conor Ben's career for zero pounds and zero pennies. Nada. Nothing. Nothing. His career's cooked. You wouldn't fancy Conor Ben at 154 pounds. Even against a Troy Williamson. That's a hard night's work for him. And Josh Kelly, based on what I saw on Friday, hard night's work for him. Do you want to go up to middleweight? Against people like Denzel Bentley? Oh my God. I might post a video on Twitter of him sparring Ahara Davis and look at how small he naturally is. You ain't going up to middleweight. Don't do it. But yeah, the brains trust that Matchroom have basically cooked this young kid's career before he's 30. Through being reckless. Some of it's squarely on his own shoulders. The Clomid's in him. You can't deny that. But the rest of that whole setup around him need to be held accountable because this is bad. And meanwhile, you've got his old man just there slapping John Ryder on the back. I'm like, mate, go and look after your son because it doesn't look like this is ending well for anybody. So one thing I'd like out of all of this is this, right? There should be something in the board rule book that states very clearly, if you fail an A and a B sample, you are immediately banned from boxing for a year, irrespective of the substance, maybe two years. Yeah, 
any competent doping authority. Yeah. And that the definition of that is they are contained in the contract or they are contained in statute. And that would include UCAD and VADA for now. Because what we know is VADA are clearly doing something UCAD aren't. Now, there are two ways of looking at this. Either UCAD are as bad as we think they are, and that's problematic. Or UCAD are as good as VADA. They use the same labs, the same infrastructure. And they're telling people that they passed. I'm going to say that carefully. They could be telling people that they passed. That's all I'm going to say. The politicization or doping test results for profit would be insane if it were true. But we can't rule anything out. It's worrying, isn't it? Because from what I understand about doping, they use the same labs. UCAD and VADA will use the same labs. Now, I don't know if they request the same test, though. And maybe that's what we need to fix. Everyone needs to do an identical test. All these providers have to do an identical test. But in summary, this is an absolute mess. The board should have a rule that any, any competent doping authority, failure A sample, you're provisionally suspended. So whatever was going to happen, if there's going to be a fight, the fight's off. Then you test the B sample. If that comes back positive, you, you have a hearing and your suspension holds until after that hearing. No lawyers, no nothing. These are just the rules. As soon as we get that in, people aren't going to be messing around with legalese and processes and stuff. The board are suffering for not having a process around anti-doping and they should. And it should be ironclad. And if it means that people don't want a British license, so be it. Don't let them fight on British soil. It's as simple as that. But we need to fix this because that Zolani Tete case is embarrassing. You can't, you can't give Eddie Hearn a kicking for that and not condemn what's happened here as well. People are falling asleep at the wheel. I'm not saying this is a Queensbury problem because it doesn't seem that they knew. But whoever knew at the time and didn't tell the right authorities, that's where the problem is. How you fix it, I don't know. I wish I did. Honestly, I wish I did. But what I can tell you for absolute certain is this is not the last. Because there are people popping pills, syringes, whatever it is, all over the sport. It's not a surprise that the Americans are looking at us going, this is like the wild west here. We need to get our acting gear. We need to get ourselves in order and we need to clamp down on the scourge of doping. And can we do it in women's boxing as well, please? Because there are a lot of women getting away with a lot. And the sooner we get that addressed, I think the better for everybody. But let's see what happens with Zelani Tetze. Let's see if, if his process happens quicker than Conor Ben's. Or, <laughs> I mean, I haven't heard Zelani Tetze say he's got an army of scientists working on whether he ate 52 eggs or 47 Oh, man. But on that note, let me sign off and say, guys, thanks for listening. And if you can cop 126, make sure you go back and cop 126. Let's get those numbers up. Finish the year strong. And on that note, I say take care, guys. Mm -hmm.